A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is A Mucky Business. It's the show where you get to hear from Christian politicians about how we live out our faith in the mucky business of politics. You might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and of course you'd be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are in politics in an informed way. Today, we're going to talk about how churches and Christian politicians teamed up during the G7 summit this year in Cornwall. This major diplomatic event took place in our guests' constituency, and behind all the photos on the beach, churches held prayer events throughout to ask for God's wisdom for the world leaders. Our guest is the Conservative MP for St Ives. He's a Christian and he's Derek Thomas. Now, as it's our last episode before the summer, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. So after we've spoken to Derek, we're going to reflect, Cara and I, on some of the things we have learnt this series and maybe give you some prayer points for the next couple of months. So this week, we're going to start off with a question from a listener. Remember, you can always email in a question to me, uh, whether it be on a personal matter or ethical or political, and send it in through to farron at premier.org.uk. So the question this week is from Stella in West Yorkshire. When a person has served a prison term, you are supposed to have paid for that due. Do you think society deals a tough hand when it does not allow for an ex-offender to be recruited back into society? Uh, thank you, and I hope this is clear. Stella, that's an excellent question. I'm, I'm no lawyer, but let me see if I can uh, unpick what you've asked there, because I think there are three purposes in putting someone away in prison. The first is that justice is done, that they, are pay, that they pay a price for the offence that they have committed. Uh, secondly, it's that they are reformed in some way, that we help them to be a better person, to move on from their criminality and to be able to contribute to society and live a decent life on the outside. Um, and then the third thing, of course, is to protect society from them if they are a dangerous person. So are we doing ex-offenders a disservice and are we being unjust if we don't allow them to reintegrate fully into society? Well, I think we've got to just think about, in particular, the latter issue about safety. There will be some people who've done their due and served their time, but they may still be at least plausibly a risk to society. And that means that they've got to be managed very carefully. And sometimes that will mean some uh, incursion upon their liberties. But on the second point, I wonder how much we really do help um, offenders, ex-offenders to reform. I, I don't think we do a good job on that at all. I think what we spend on uh, the criminal justice system is not nearly enough. The number of prison wardens, the number of those involved in education, educating people, um, the opportunities for people to be involved in restorative justice and so on, they are not enough. And therefore, I don't think we give many prisoners really the opportunity to reform and change their lives the way we would like to. Very often, you know, prisons are kind of universities of crime. You just learn to be even more likely to offend when you get out. But the main point that Stella makes is, do we think when people have paid their due that they've paid their due? I think that's a really important point. Often society just judges people and says, well, once a criminal, always a criminal. That's totally wrong. If society says that you do three years for this crime and you've done three years, you have paid your due and the price is paid. And if we believe in justice, we have to accept people back into society once they have paid that penalty. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. 
This week, we're talking about how churches and Christian politicians can team up and work together to pray and create gospel opportunities, just like they did at the G7 summit in Cornwall just a few weeks ago. Joining us is Derek Thomas. He's been the Conservative MP for St Ives since 2015, and he's a Christian. Derek's constituency covers the Isle of Scilly, meaning ballot boxes are taken by boats, the largest island, and counted with strong gales, making the last general election result delayed by several hours. Derek, it's an absolute joy to have you with us. Let's start off with a, a nice, easy one. Tell us how you became a Christian. Uh, well, I don't know if um, I had much choice, really. My parents were missionaries in Nigeria, and I spent the first part of my life out there. They were working with leprosy patients, and it fascinating uh, story. Uh, and so we were obviously brought up in a very Christian Bible teaching home, but also very practical application of that faith. And so as I grew up, um, it, it seemed the right thing to do. But there's definitely an occasion in in uh, when I was 13 years old where I was I was one of eight children and I was set off, sent off to live to spend the summer holidays with my dad's primary school friend. who happened to be a lovely Christian with his wife and in a service during that school holiday I was clearly challenged by God to give my life to him for myself so that's how I just started the, the personal journey of faith. And so let's jump forward quite, quite a few years I guess but there, there's a moment uh, presumably a kind of a political awakening a moment you thought politics was something you were interested in and cared about and then another moment where you felt drawn to stand for parliament tell me about those moments in your life. Yeah so actually so actually, I first became interested around that age when I became a Christian. It wasn't anything at all with faith. It was that the school teachers were on regular strikes right throughout my GCSE years. And, uh, and it just opened me up to how politics actually could really impact people's lives as a very young boy. So I, so I kind of clocked on to politics then. I met our local MP, David Harris, at the time, who was a really is a really lovely, decent Christian gentleman as well. And he inspired me to to want to do that job and represent the area. But I did nothing about it until 2005, where I was getting inwardly furious at the way we were failing spectacularly, not just to win elections as a Conservative Party, but also to get local candidates in seats like mine. So, and while I was staring away inside, I felt God clearly speak to me as I walked across the kitchen floor that I should go and put myself forward, which I did. And actually in that, in that same year, 2005, I was elected to, sorry, Tim, to a Lib Dem, to what was a Lib Dem local council seat by election, which came completely out of the blue and really confirmed for my wife and I that the journey we'd started was the right one to go on. And it was, uh, and you're forgiven, don't worry, we, we, we're, a, we're a multi-party outfit on the <laughs> business, but, uh, but the, the, obviously the, the, the mountain you had to climb um, was very significant, very big majority. It didn't look very likely. And you also told me uh, that this was not a selection you were expected to win. But no. tell me how that happened. Well, I, so at the time, I had very long hair. I worked for a charity supporting people with severe learning disabilities and providing youth activities, which I still do to a little bit now. Uh, and uh, my background, although I was a builder by trade at Cornish Mason, my background had been in the voluntary sector for some years. And um, certainly at that time, the kind of people that were getting selected for the Conservative Party didn't necessarily come from where I was coming from. Uh, and uh, the, I, I was certainly discouraged from applying. But then in fairness to David Cameron, when he became leader, he recognised the need of local candidates, which I had raised. 
He also recognised the need to allow local people to have a say over who should be their candidate. So I was one of the early open primaries, which you'll remember David Cameron invited the local people in the electorate to turn up to Hustings events and choose. And there was four of us. The person who I mainly stood against went on to become the leader of Cornwall Council, but actually at the event, the primary was really well attended. I think one of the bigger ones. And uh, I think people there felt that I was most representative of the constituency, not that we all have long hair or, um, or behave like I did then. So Derek, I mean, looking forward, obviously you, you, um, you became an MP in 2015, having uh, had um, a go at it in 2010, reduced the majority, won in uh, that election of 2015. And it's been very clear to me ever since you have been elected, you've been very upfront about your Christian faith. And what's that been like in terms of your ability to serve your community? Has that been a challenge or has that been something you found has been positive? Uh, it has been positive. I, I've never had people face to face query, question or challenge my faith or my motivations. In fact, most people I speak to are kind of reassured that I have values and a clear uh, conviction in lots of areas that they believe um, probably helps me to do my job. And I genuinely believe that. I, I believe that we approach politics and any, any sphere of life I really as a Christian to demonstrate God's love in very practical ways and to try and improve people's life chances. And, and politics is a brilliant way to do that. Uh, so, so I certainly get a lot of emails saying, as a Christian, why are you doing this? Or as a Christian, why are you doing that? But basically, I've never had any real con concern from people about the fact that I'm Christian. And I found it to be, a, to a, be able to open doors in lots of ways. So, so um, it's, it's something that I'm not at all, you can't shy away from. I learned in school mm. that you either speak up for what you believe or you shut up because you can't kind of do half and half mm. and as I as I've gone through life my faith is absolutely what's driving me and what's driving me and my family. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. You're listening to A Mucky Business we're talking about how churches and Christians in politics can come together for significant events to pray for our world as they did at the G7 summit. Uh, Derek, you hosted, uh, and your constituency hosted, at Carbis Bay, the G7 summit just a few weeks ago. Tell me what it was like being in Cornwall during that occasion. Well, it was quite surreal. It, we've seen police that we often don't see, let's face it. <laughs> so, I think that in the end, there was about 10,000 police officers or uh, security officials in the area. That really was interesting to see. And, but it was a great atmosphere. We had um, Cornwall really well prepared for it. The police were fantastic. They were cheerful. They were really helpful. The funny thing with the police was that most of them had been moved in from all different parts of the country. We had lots of Welsh police. They had no idea or anything what. So the great fun thing to do was ask the policeman the directions because it was really, it was just became a bit of a joke. But, um, but they were brilliant. And uh, the event, event went really well. And I think that even now people are looking back and seeing what a great privilege it was to host the 10 leaders that actually were challenged, were meeting for the first time in a long time in the middle of a very severe global pandemic, but also massive challenges around the environment and climate change. So I think we really understood the significance of the event and the, the opportunities we had to play a tiny part in it. And you as local MP and alongside local churches, you prepared for this well. Um, from January, you were telling me um, you were praying about the event itself and the outcomes that might come from it. Tell me about how you first got to grips with the uh, with praying for the event in advance. Yeah. 
Well, as a Christian, you kind of can't miss any opportunity. And, and you, we, you and I, Tim, I'm sure ask ourselves why we're doing this job sometimes and as a Christian. And so when I was summoned to number 10 early on in 2020, immediately this was suggested, I immediately knew that it would be a good thing to do. And there was an opportunity to do something really special in my neck of the woods. So uh, as soon as it was announced in public, because we had all been sworn to secrecy, I contacted and other Christian leaders in the area con made contact with me saying, we should be doing something, we should be praying for this. So we, from very early on, late January, early February, we prayed every Friday for an hour. Uh, and over that time, a fairly decent group of people, not just in, in Cornwall, but across the country, joined virtually, which we obviously can do now, and we're getting used to. And we prayed in earnest for the safety of the event, for the preparations, for all those busily trying to get their heads around such a logistically challenging event, but also praying for the leaders because we really wanted them to recognise that it's God who provides all that we have, God who creates all that we enjoy. And while we have responsibilities for it, we are not actually the top of the tree and we wanted them to have the wisdom from God to know how to wrestle with the challenges that they clearly had to wrestle with that weekend. And you clearly had answered prayers when it came to the... The, the the how the event came off peacefully without disturbance and uh the event was a success insofar as the organization uh, happened and the policing happened you, as you said what confidence do you have that uh, the things that you prayed for in terms of the outcomes um are going to come to fruition well that's a really great question tim you're right we we prayed specifically because we were obviously getting myself and other mps and others involved we're getting various briefings about the risks of protests, where, where the challenges were in terms of logistics, even things like accommodation. In the end, we had the, the government had to hire a massive ferry to house the police because there just wasn't any accommodation in Cornwall being a tourist destination, as you'll know about him. But, um, but what we really prayed for, particularly towards the end, and we were enjoined by people from Tear Fund and other people that really are, are logged on to what the challenges are around the world. We really prayed that the leaders would understand the significant responsibility they held for the people they represented. They represented over 60% of the world's population. And obviously we know there are the other 40% mostly in very, very, very poor uh, situations. So we, our prayer was that they would understand the significance of having to recover from the pandemic and do that fairly and not to, not to, um, crush other countries in the pro in the process of restoring our own economies we prayed a lot about that we prayed a lot about responding to the issues of climate change that obviously impacts often the world's poorest people so they're more more disproportionate so so we believe that through the carbon Bay declaration good progress was made but as you'll know tim things are often committed to and it's not always clear the progress or the determination to follow through so i was pleased to meet with the Prime Minister this week, Boris Johnson, and just ask about the Carpus Bailey Declaration and what work was needed to make sure we really did deliver on those goals and commitments. And I'll continue to do so. And the support of Christians to understand how the richest countries can really transform the lives, not just now, but for the future, for generations, is so significant. It's on our hearts and we have a way to apply that. Mm, that's wonderful. I mean, I, we have a real, you know, passion on this program that Christians should 
take action to engage with political leaders to try to make sure we get the outcomes that we we believe in what would you be saying to christians both in terms of what we should be praying for but also what across the country we can be lobbying the prime minister and others to do to ensure that those um those goals that were signed up to at the carbis bay agreement are actually fulfilled i think what i would want christians and i include myself in this to pray for is to be always conscious of God's heart for the poor, but also the sheer scale of poverty that exists and that existed before the pandemic, but it's certainly much more significant now in, in countries that haven't been able to support their, their people in the way that maybe the UK and Western countries have. So to be acutely aware of that and to pray for that, because that's firstly the greatest tool we have, uh, but, but also then to, to pray that God really would challenge leaders to understand the great privilege, opportunity, responsibility they have of, of finding ways to really care for these communities, to restore these communities, to provide the right things they need. The sustainable development goals are fantastic places to start in terms of ending poverty, hunger, clean water, providing clean water, etc. But I, and I think we really can pray for our leaders and, and that prayer works. In terms of the very practical things, to, to press every MP that is their MP to, to really push government for greater transparency about how we do help through international aid, through foreign aid. And I, I'm really trying to get the government to be much more clear about what it what wants to set out to achieve, the commitments it's made to actually deliver on them. I mean, we have promised along with over 190 other countries, to deliver the sustainable development goals by the end of this decade. I mean, that's a massive challenge. We need to step up, and yet it's rarely mentioned. So I think the, if, if, if constituents can write to their MPs to really ask about those questions and to just demonstrate to MPs how much the British public cares uh, and recognises that we have a role to play for the world's poorest people. Well, if we draw to the end of our time, Derek, I think that's a really important point. When Christians write to their MPs, we're doing something very important, not just persuading those MPs of the things that we believe passionately in. We're witnessing to those MPs because, of course, most MPs and their staff will not be Christians. And if they see these are the things that are on God's heart and on the hearts of Christians, that's a really powerful uh, message for the gospel. So that feels like a great place to stop. Loads more we could say. I think you've shown great leadership on the ground, Derek, and done a, a wonderful thing for the community to take advantage of, you know, that great blessing that the world's leaders just turned up on your doorstep. Well, now that's going to happen. Don't do nothing about it. You did something about it. And it's fantastic. And all I can say is that it's been lovely to hear the Cornish noises in the background. That's the, uh, the, the coast. Uh, I feel like, you know, you've had your seagulls. I wish I'd had, um, you know, some Cumbrian Herdwick sheep barring outside my window we'll just dub the sound on later on so but Derek as always it's a massive pleasure to be with you thank you very much for joining us well as it's the last episode before the summer we thought we'd leave you with some reflections from the series as a whole and some prayer points that you can be covering until parliament returns in September Tim, first of all, can you tell us what do MPs do over the summer? Do you take it all off? What do you do? Well, I think different MPs do things very differently. For me, I mean, I do try and take a couple of weeks off over the summer because there is a period of time, you know, where things go quiet, particularly in August, where you you can afford just to, you know, spend time with the family and not do very much. Whether we go anywhere this year, what with the pandemic, I'm not quite so sure at this point. But, but otherwise... Uh, 
we work hard, or at least I do. And the thing I tend to do is do what I call my constituency tour. So my area is massive. You know, Kendall's the big town, um, and there are other you know larger places like you know Windermere, Grange over Sands. I'm always a little bit guilty that they're very small places I don't get to enough. And so I do what we call my surgery tour, where I go around with my A-board, you know, pre-advertised and basically stand in all the market squares outside all the post offices and spend half an hour, an hour at each one. And generally speaking, by the way, the smaller the place, the more people turn out to see you. Um, um, because I guess there's a sense in which the, the, the smaller the place, the more likely there is to be a kind of tight-knit community. And it's obviously a great thing to do. Of course, I tend to do it at the time of year when there's tour tourists everywhere so often I'll end up bumping into people who vaguely recognize me but aren't quite sure who exactly I am um, and uh, and maybe they won't necessarily be you know full of a list of issues for me to deal with. Does it feel like you're going to launch an album at the end of it? You wonder really and you've been but funny you should say that because on one such occasion um, I was outside a pub in Coniston and there were a couple of ladies who were not there to see me they were on their holidays you could tell they recognized me but did not know who I was and um, one of the locals went up to these two ladies I found out later and said you recognize him don't you and they said yeah who is he and he said used to be the drummer in Spandau Ballet Um, (laughs) which obviously isn't true (laughs) but the story is and um, anyway so uh, I can assure you that I was not the drummer in Spandau Ballet. (laughs) So when you come back to Parliament in September can you pick things up exactly how you left them or is it a bit like a new school term where it's brand new slate oh well, it's a bit of both I mean I think there is a danger whenever you take time off and even if I don't take that much time off I'll have like say, two weeks off at the beginning of August otherwise I'll work all the way through but very much constituency focused that if you've got with, with parliament shutting for basically six or seven weeks there there is a danger that things that are put over to September you've got to work very hard to um, you know to, to revitalize them and restart them and so it's important at the end of term that you think about the things you're going to be asking the minute you get back so lots of written questions about for instance uh, what we're doing about trying to keep the amount of international aid that we're giving up given the controversy of that over the last few uh, days questions about what we're going to do what the government might do about uh, planning reform particularly over places like mine where I'm going to say there's far too many second homes and it's doing damage to the community so leaving things in abeyance over the summer if you're not careful they can peter out so you've got to really have a good bring-up system to make sure you raise those issues the minute parliament opens its doors again and we've spoken about many different issues this series over 25 episodes what do you think that you and the listeners have learned from hearing about these experiences of other christians in politics I think the first thing is just to be just to be so encouraged by the fact there are so many Christians from different political backgrounds, but who are faithful followers of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and are willing to talk about it publicly, not just in our show, but in other places as well. But their stories are very different, aren't they? People who I remember Stephen Tim's story, I think, is one I find hugely admirable. I'm almost jealous of it that, you know, he was a, a committed Christian and felt led very much to put his trust in Jesus, but then led to put it that into action in in the world of politics and you know people like uh, me or david linden who got ourselves involved in politics first became a christian and that really kind of discombobulated us and um, we had to think about whether we're going to continue i wonder how many people you know we didn't interview on the show because they basically dropped out of politics after becoming christian so that makes you think there's a whole different range of journeys that people can go on 
and that that's all fine. You know, if we're faithful to Jesus and we're following him, the political party we belong to and the journey into politics and God will do it the way he does it. And that will sometimes look very different. One of my favourite moments of the series was when you said to David Linden at the end of the interview, David, I wish you all the best in almost everything that you do hmm. when you're speaking of the uh, Scottish independence referendum. And I, think, and I think one of the more interesting, we, obviously we spoke to David, we've also spoken to Ian Blackford, I think was our first guest, the leader of the um, SNP in, in Scotland. And we've had Dr Lisa Cameron on as well. And then on the other side of the debate, just after the Scottish parliamentary elections, we had our, our friend, uh, the MSP, uh, Murdo Fraser, who's obviously a Conservative, who very much in favour of keeping the UK together. And so obviously, you know, we disagree on some things. I went out for a curry with David this week. He won't mind me revealing to you. Um, and Steve Double, the three of us went out. And, you know, we think very different things on Brexit and independence between us. But when all said and done, kingdom comes before tribe, these things are hugely important. You know, whether Scotland is or isn't an independent country, whether the UK, you know, is or isn't uh, in the European Union in the future or what have you, these matter. But they don't, they're not of eternal significance. They are temporary matters. And it's important. Maybe one of the things I've learned through all this is to remember that we don't put all our faith in temporary political movements. We've we've seen throughout this series that you have very busy jobs and you cover so many issues and serve or try to serve so many different people. How can we pray for MPs and peers as they rest, hopefully, over the summer? One of the things that's been really interesting for me is also just thinking about the experience of MPs and peers and their, their personal lives and the fact that, you know, I'm not trying to you know, encourage you all to get your violins out and feel sorry for us. But, you know, we heard um, the experience of uh, you know, Jane Dodds, for instance. I hope she won't mind me singling her out and the kind of roller coaster ride that she had. You know, two years ago, uh, not quite to the day, but almost the day, she was elected to Parliament. Um, she's into the most tumultuous Parliament, you know, probably in living memory, the Brexit Parliament. She loses a seat a matter of a few months later. Um, she then struggles to get uh, back into the workplace. She does and then finds herself elected the Welsh Senate. And so I guess the reality is that politicians, it, their private lives, their personal lives, their professional lives are bound to impact upon their politics. And so praying for people to be wise um, uh, when it comes to managing those competing pressures, family life as well, massively important. And I think for all of us, I would just pray that the thing that we should be seeking the most and the thing that we need the most to govern uh, and to represent is wisdom is a heart for God um, that prays for the things that he wants us to pray for, um, that has prior priorities that number one of which is the glory of God, um, and just seeking to be able to represent him, not just in the things that we fight for and campaign for, but the tone and the style with which we go about our politics, that it should be conciliatory, that it should be loving, that it should be kind, that it should never be abusive, that it should be forgiving, but it should be passionate because we love the things that God loves and we hate the things that God hates. Well, Tim, would you mind closing us in prayer to end the series? Well, I'd be delighted to do so, Cara, and a massive thank you to you uh, for being the pro in all this. Uh, <laughs> as throughout these last uh, few weeks, as we've been doing a mucky business, we wouldn't have done it without you. I'm massively, massively grateful. And I know all the guests uh, have been really grateful to you as well. Um, massive thanks to all the listeners as well. And I would just be really grateful if all of you would just uh, join us just for a few, few moments as we bow our head in prayer. Well, loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to hear and have heard the stories of so many uh, Christian brothers and sisters who are involved in politics. 
I pray you'd encourage each and every one of them. Um, I pray you would give them time of rest and recuperation over the summer. I pray that they would be faithful to you um, in the time they spend with family and in their constituencies and be ready for uh, the mucky business to commence again once September uh, comes around. Lord, we want to pray against the virus, uh, the coronavirus, which has caused such disruption and tragedy over this last 18 months. We thank you that you are using this difficult time to draw people to you, to perhaps rebuke us that we um, think that we can control our own lives and we're in charge of our own destiny, when in reality we are not. May we, all of us, uh, understand that our ultimate meaning is um, to be found in you. May those who don't let don't yet know you come to an awareness of the living God and your precious son, Jesus, whose life was given for our sins. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, been an absolute joy to be with you, Cara. Thank you very much for everybody out there who has listened to us this series. If you've not heard all the podcasts, you've got the chance to go back and listen to the ones that you missed on your favourite provider. Otherwise, we'll see you very soon. God bless. You can listen to the podcast of this programme online by searching for A Mucky Business. Don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show, email farron at premier.org.uk.